If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And today, we are going to be having a conversation with Sean Hale about back offices and doing more than just tightening your belt to become more efficient and save some money. Before we have that conversation, I know listeners have heard me talk about this before, but I just have to say it again. I genuinely believe that 2021 will be a very different year from this year. But in many ways, I think it's going to be a much harder year. We may not see the same level of government stimulus that we saw this year, probably won't see an across-the-board PPPP loan that anyone can apply for. I think there are many reasons why this is probably going to be a tougher year next year. And that is why I am launching a group coaching program for chief executives starting in January. And it is a curriculum-based program, 13 biweekly sessions that are designed to help you and your organization thrive in a tough times. If you're interested, head on over to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and check it out. But as I said, today we're going to be talking about back offices, and Sean Hale is the perfect person to come in and have this conversation. He is an Austin-based consultant. He's been a COO. He's been a CFO. Today, he does a ton of back office consulting, specifically in areas like finance, HR, technology, operations, the things that so often, whether we're program leaders or chief executives, we don't spend enough time and energy thinking about and working on. And let me also share with you, he is an efficiency guru. If you spend just a few minutes on his blog at seanhale.org, you will see that he understands efficiency and an incredible trainer as well. What sparked my interest in bringing him onto the podcast is I was on his blog and I saw a great series of posts called Beyond Belt Tightening. So we're going to have a conversation about that as well as the importance of the back office. Hey, Sean, welcome to the podcast. 
Dolph, thank you so much for having me on. It's just a real honor to get to talk to you and to be in the presence virtually of all the other great guests you've had on the, the podcast over the years. Well, thank you. I am always excited and thrilled that we get incredible guests, people like you, who give up an hour of their week to really share some important things with our guests. So thank you. And I thought we might start by just talking about the importance of the back office for a nonprofit. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's an area that I've been working in for more than 20 years now and just really developed a passion for it. I've gotten to wear all the hats over my career, but that's the area where I really feel like I can add the most value. It's not the glamorous part of the nonprofit, right? And we don't usually get to interact directly with the the people that are getting served by the nonprofit. But for me, it just brings so much satisfaction to know that everything behind the scenes is running smoothly because in my experience, behind every successful nonprofit, you're going to find a strong back office. And when the program staff and the fundraising staff can really focus on their jobs, that's when the organization is successful and you need a strong back office holding things together to make that happen. Just so we're clear and our listeners have a sense of what we're talking about when we're saying back office, what are some of the functions that you think about as being critical to a back office? Thank you for asking that clarifying question. Yeah, there are a bunch of ways to define it, but I kind of, since the IRS kind of defines it for us, I'll go with their definition that you can split up into the whole nonprofit up into three areas. There's programs, there's fundraising, and there's admin. And so admin for me, it's kind of synonymous with back office. And granted, all those areas in a healthy nonprofit, they're going to have a whole lot of overlap, right? You're not going to have siloed anything. But really, the back office, it's going to be the financial function. It's going to be the human resources function. It's going to be all the technology that people depend on and the facilities and the thousand other details, the compliance and the reporting and all that other stuff. The back office takes on so that the program people can do programs and be serving that audience directly. So the executive director can be focused on the big picture of the organization and also doing a lot of development as, as are the fundraising staff, right? And so those folks are not worried about, are the lights gonna come on? Am I gonna get paid on time? Is my computer gonna boot up? Why is it taking me forever to get onto the internet? Those thousand distractions that can really add up to death by a thousand cuts for so many otherwise really great nonprofits. And that's why it's important to spend some time making sure that your back office is is running smoothly because a back office is less like a paperweight and more like a puppy or even a car. It requires maintenance. Um, And if you treat the back office like a paperweight and you just set it in the corner and forget it, you can be pretty sure that it's really going to behave like a car that you didn't give oil changes to or put gas in. I loved your metaphor of saying, let's look at the functional expenses on your 990. While there's some overlap, it's kind of those management functions. Are there areas that you think nonprofits are underinvesting in on average? And so as an example, are they underinvesting more in technology than in HR or vice versa? Well, you and I went back and forth on LinkedIn last week about our old friend, frenemy, the overhead myth. And uh, that really has most nonprofits thinking that, well, you know, it can't really be even 10% of the overall expenses and really needs to be less. And so in so many nonprofits, they underinvest in everything. If I had to pick just one area where you can get the most 
kind of bang for your buck. And where I think is probably the most neglected of all the things that need attention, it would be technology. So much really good technology has come online, even in the last 12, 24 months, that is transformative for nonprofits in terms of being productive and efficient. And it's kind of like one of those things where if you start with technology, that's going to give you efficiencies. It's going to give your back office and your front of house staff time back so they can take the next bite and the next bite and the next bite. So it's one of those investments that's going to pay for itself more often than not. I also have to just reflect that with technology, there's also tremendous risk if organizations are not managing their technology well. There are so many, and I'm actually working on a blog post around this now, but there are so many different ways that scammers are trying to cheat nonprofits. But one of the biggest is actually getting inside your network, taking over your network and holding a ransom. Yeah, and that's that's a really big one. And most nonprofits, especially the small and medium-sized ones, they don't even know what they don't know because they're so, it, and it's a challenge, right? This is not active neglect or indifference on behalf of leadership so much as most nonprofits they have a tough job and they're trying to do a thousand things and that was before the pandemic. But certainly, yeah, it's, it's the ransomware. It's the, even the emails that, the staffer falls for because they think it's the executive director writing them and, hey, I need you to get me, you know, some Amazon gift cards stack. And they, you know, go and use the company card because they don't have good controls on the company card. And all of a sudden, you know, they're out, you know, whether it's 500 bucks or 5,000 or, you know, they've let a hacker into their bank because there aren't proper safeguards and controls in place. And I'll share with you, that scam is especially common with nonprofits right now. I actually stepped into an organization where a member of the management team, so someone with three decades or more of professional experience under their belt, fell for that scam. But they actually used their own personal credit card. And now the organization was in this really awkward spot of, should it reimburse this person? Should it not reimburse this person? What is the implication if they do not reimburse the person in terms of their morale and how they feel about the organization and all of like, it was, it was a really bad situation for this organization. Yeah. It's one of those situations you don't want to be in. That's why you you have the protection, right? That's why you take your umbrella out with you. If it's, you know, there's a, a cloudy sky, it's just good, good prevention to Make sure you're on top of that. And every so often, especially with technology, if you as a nonprofit leader, if your organization doesn't have the time in-house to be checking on that, how are you bringing in somebody who has the necessary levels of expertise to help you stay on top of that and making sure that you know, you're know you not vulnerable, especially in the ways that are just so obvious to so many of these hackers these days? Because what was good protection two years ago could look like a big open barn door today. Right. And as long as we're talking about scams, and again, I was working on this blog post, so I've done way too much research on this. There's also a one going around and has been for the last two or three years on the phony donor scam. Do you know about this one? Mm, I don't know. Tell me more. So essentially what happens is a large gift for your organization comes through on the website, $5,500 gift. 10 minutes later, an email comes through going, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I meant to only give 500, not 5,500. Will you please refund 5,000, but to this other card? Yeah. The development director goes and talks to the CFO. They want to keep this brand new donor who they know nothing about happy. They process $5,000, yep, onto the other card. And three, four days later, 
the merchant account comes back and says, sorry, that was not a legitimate credit card. And so now you're out $5,500. Yeah. It's a beautiful scam. And that's the tricky thing with nonprofits is that there is so much goodwill and trust and you don't want to let go of that. If you lose the goodwill and trust, you lose the whole spirit of the whole thing, right? But at the same time, you have to kind of walk this tightrope of having the appropriate levels of caution. And especially remembering that, you know, when something is just a little bit fishy to tap the brakes and take it slowly. I've definitely been present for a couple of similar scams and where fortunately we kind of recognized it for what it was early, but it did once it took me, took me a while to convince the executive director that no, this thing was definitely a scam. And let me show you the 15 ways that we can confirm that. Because <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, you, you want to believe and you want to have goodwill and that's great, but it's kind of uh, trust, but verify with those things. Right, right. As I think about the hierarchy, I kind of feel like the next area where organizations are not necessarily often investing enough is HR. It's true. And that one can be Everybody's been working from home for six months now, and if you're not feeling the HR strains, you know, they're, they're definitely there, and that can create some weird ripple effects, and so this is the time, if you haven't already, to, you know, bring in somebody with that, with that expertise for at least a checkup, right? And that is one of the things that, like, nonprofits, very often, they don't bring in professional HR in, on staff until you get up to, like, three, four million dollars or 50 employees, something like that. It feels like it, you know, why do we need that? And, like, you know, our bookkeeper's doing a perfectly fine job making sure the forms are filled out, and that's great, but there's a good level of risk there of just from, like, goodwill with the staff and losing staff because morale is sinking. And that can be one of the most expensive things for organizations is actually turnover. And it's an invisible expense because you're not putting a line item in the budget that, hey, $100,000 for turnover. But, you know, it can cost as much as a year's salary in terms of lost productivity to lose a staff person. And sometimes even more than that, it adds up quickly. And that becomes especially painful if you have high attrition, because if you're losing people in the same position every 18 months and it costs you a year's salary, essentially it means that every 18 months you're spending two and a half years on salary. Yeah, and that's where good HR, um, whether it's an HR consultant or something else can really help you clarify like what what's going on here? You know, is this a hiring thing and we're not hiring the right people? Are we not compensating enough? Is there, um, you know, a culture issue here at the organization and that's why we're losing people? There can be all sorts of reasons why you're losing people, even bad luck, but it's really hard for, a, a, even if you're a doctor, to diagnose yourself. And that's why bringing in a third party who is not emotionally invested in it can really help bring some objectivity to what can otherwise might might be hard for you to see for yourself, even if it's in front of your own eyes. And some of the big benefits that I think an HR contractor or even an HR employee brings are things like, let's make sure we structure an onboarding process and make sure every employee actually goes through that onboarding process. Let's make sure that we have some type of program, support, coaching for new managers in our organization, even if they've been a manager somewhere else. And those are kind of, I think, some low-hanging fruit. But I've said this before on the podcast, Sean, one of the things I see nonprofits do all the time is promote an individual contributor, say a case manager, to a management position. And so now they're the supervisor of the case management department, but they do not provide them the mentoring, coaching, support necessary for them to be good managers. And then 
the leadership team scratches their head and wonders why this person was so good as a case manager and so bad as a program manager. That's so true, Dolph. That is so true because it happens over and over again. And that's why there's like this rich literature about like these common pitfalls for small, medium nonprofits and kind of how to avoid them. The trick sometimes for, for so many organizations is finding time to sharpen the saw. And if you don't have time to, to sharpen the saw and really get up to speed on these things, it's knowing we need to have somebody else help us do this stuff. We, I might be smart enough to pull this off, but I don't have the time to get up to speed and apply these best practices. So I'm going to have somebody else and, and help me do that so that I can go home and see my family at least a couple of times a week. Right, right. I would also bet one of the things that you see a good little bit is organizations that have outgrown the individuals working in their back office because they've not brought those individuals with them. And so, for example, an organization that has a bookkeeper who's a mighty fine bookkeeper, but as the organization grows and it becomes a $3 million, a $5 million, a $7 million organization, suddenly they need a lot more than a bookkeeper, but what they have is a bookkeeper because they've not brought that person with them. Yeah. And sometimes they'll give that person, since everybody else got promoted to director, they'll promote the bookkeeper to director of finance just because, well, they've been here and they've paid their dues. And that feels good in the heart. It's not, if you want to have a successful nonprofit, you need to handle that in a different way. And it might be that you need to bring in really a true director of finance from outside, or it might be that you train that person up. It depends on the particular circumstances. But the point being is that if your only criteria for promoting somebody or for hanging on to them is kind of feel good or you kind of hate having difficult conversations, you're probably setting yourself up for bigger pain down the road when that person is overwhelmed and frustrated and leaves your organization forever one Friday in tears and never comes back. How, how are you going to come back from that? And let me also say, and your funders are frustrated and your management's frustrated and your board is frustrated because they're not getting what they need out of that function either. Exactly. Exactly. It's that underinvestment and it will sooner or later it's going to bite you in the butt. And every organization has a certain threshold that it can get to in terms of flying by the seat of their pants. And usually there's a, a link between that and the charisma of the executive director or the founder. And if there's a lot of charisma there, you can fly even higher before you have to put good systems in place. But sooner or later, if you don't put good systems in place, then you are setting yourself up for a big fall. I love preventing that from happening. It's not sexy, right? Like, hey, I, I stopped 20 planes from falling out of the sky today, right? That, that's not on the news. But isn't that great? And, and we do, like mechanics who are stopping planes from falling out of the sky every day because those mechanics are there making sure every little screw is tightened just the right amount and that the plane has the right amount of fuel and all the gauges are functioning exquisitely well. There's a lot of unsexy, unglamorous work that happens for those planes to not fall out of the sky, but it is so... So that's what a, a strong back office does. I want to make sure, Sean, we've got time to talk about your blog series, Beyond Belt Tightening. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear us talk more about ways back offices are important and ways they could be strengthened. But let's move forward. And what I loved about your blog series on this is that it's not about necessarily cutting costs. It's about becoming more efficient and making better decisions so that you are generating more money or spending less money. Yeah, or being more productive, right? It's, it's about 
working smarter and harder. And there are so many traps that we fall into as human beings and as nonprofits, we're, we're vulnerable to that too, of thinking that, you know, it's, if money's tight, we got to either tighten that belt up a little bit more, you know, we'll just like put some more water into the beans and we'll stretch it out. Or we think we need to go begging somebody like, oh gosh, well, Michael Dell's the richest man in town. Why don't we go ask him for money? How many people say that every day in Texas, right? Um, and those you know, those are perfectly fine things to do. Um, but, you know, so often the easiest money that we can get is the money that's already in our pockets and just using it smarter. Can I, uh, can I engage you in a couple of semi-rhetorical questions? Oh my gosh, yes. Okay. So let's say a good friend gives you a call and says, hey, Dolph, I'd like to introduce you to one of our new donors. They're making a $75,000 gift. It's going to be paid out over the next five years. And I'm pretty sure they can help you too. Would you like to know more about this guy? Nah. Dolph, you want to you know more? That's all right. I got, I got enough. You're, you're going to pass. For you listeners who think that Dolph is making a mistake, I'm going to continue to tell the rest of the story. Um, <laughs> so turns out that Bobby is making gifts to all sorts of nonprofits around town, right? And Bobby doesn't care about the, the issue area. It's education, healthcare, faith communities, environment, everything else. Um, Nine out of 10 of the people who meet with Bobby are getting these major multi-year gifts. And I've heard about gifts from 10 grand a year up to 70 grand a year. It's always multi-year gifts. The gift comes with no strings attached, unrestricted money, right? You don't have to even report back. Bobby doesn't want to report from you. You don't even have to send a thank you note or have a follow-up coffee afterwards. Dolph, are you sure you don't want to have an introduction to Bobby? All right, I'll take it now. Okay. <laughs> I need to let you know there's a catch. And so on the back end, this is easy money. It's our favorite kind of money. No, no strings attached. But on the front end, you're going to probably have to spend about 10 hours interacting with Bobby. And Bobby's going to ask you some tough questions, stuff you might have to do some homework on, questions that might make you think about things you've never thought about before. But they're, they're tough questions, but they're, they're fair questions. So, you know, you might have to invest 10 hours to get this ten dollars to $70,000 a year over multiple years. You still think that might be worthwhile? Probably still worthwhile. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing that when we peel back the, the covers on our back offices, right? There's there's money that is we have so often because your your professionals in the back office, even if they have the training and they have the spirit of being frugal, they might not have the time to actually look for and identify those savings because they're so busy with the day-to-day. -day. And uh, so there can be, you know, where you're overpaying vendors or where you have systems or technology or processes where you're wasting time. And it might've even been going on so long that you just think that's normal, right? And the, the, the truth is that very often we have these pain points that we forget about because we think it's normal and we keep on living with them year after year after year. And so this summer I've worked with three nonprofits and helped one find 13,000 a year in save savings, another find 15, another find $30,000 in savings and efficiencies. And that over five years, that adds up to pretty good return on investment, I'd say. And it's your favorite kind of money. Can you tell us a story about one of those? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'd love to tell you a story about, yeah, kind of the, the right tool for the job, which is what we're talking about here today, right? Or one of the things that we wanted to talk about. So once upon a time, I was um, helping a, a, a nonprofit out. And even though this was 
definitely into the 21st century, they were, they still had a donor database that was definitely built back in maybe the 80s, maybe early 90s, definitely DOS based, and um, it was not user friendly. And to be able to get the donor information out of it, you literally needed like an engineer to get it out of there. And this organization, they had just such a, a retiree, he was a retired engineer, and he loved this tool and he loved the, you know, going in and loved the importance of being the only person that could get the, the reports out of it. And thank goodness that he passed the torch to another retiree a couple of months before he passed away, because there could have been a catastrophic loss there, but there were all kinds of issues with it because all of the major donors, they knew that there were these issues with the uh, the donor database and there were worries about it. And there was a lack of confidence in that and in the back office. And what do you mean the back office can't pull these reports and this, that, and the other? We used that opportunity to get rid of that old DOS-based database, bring in, you know, not even a glamorous fancy one, but just kind of a basic good run-of-the-mill, but cloud-based database with real tech support. So if the office people didn't know how to do something or if the office people all won the lottery and went away to Tahiti, new person could come in and call up and get training and tech support. And this didn't just save the organization money and kind of lost staff time and lost volunteer time. It helped create donor confidence, which was really, really important because that had been at a really, really low point. And so it was one of these things that, you know, if you're cheap by nature, well, of course you're going to stick with this database that served us forever. And all we have to do is pay a hundred bucks a year for maintenance. And that by golly, that's a good bargain. Why would we go and spend, you know, two or three thousand bucks a year? And it turns out that we got the dividend on the back end. And sometimes that's hard to see and to change from a cheap mindset to a frugal mindset where we are strategic and thinking two or three steps out about the money that we spend and how that can have these trickle down effects in for this organization. That trickle down was increased generosity because that was one of the things that we put in place to alleviate people's worries in that core function for the organization because the, the donors, they felt it when the back office was struggling and it had been struggling for years. Once they saw that it was starting to get on its feet again and doing well, they gave generously because they had confidence that things are getting better and they're going to continue to improve. And that's worth me investing in. Mm -hmm. I love that story. And I agree. There's so much value there. And I think for a lot of organizations, with their technology and their CRM, there's a lot of underutilized value. And I once walked into an organization where their online giving platform did not speak to their CRM. And so most of the year, that was not a huge deal. But between about November 1 and January 15th, the poor person who was responsible for entering all the data, re-entering all the data, I should say, always felt overwhelmed because dozens, sometimes at the height, close to 100 gifts would come in in a day and they would just sit there rekeying all of this data. I was sort of like, well, why don't you talk to your CRM and see what platform integrates with your CRM and you can then not have to manually rekey it. So suddenly this person had a lot of extra time. They were able to enjoy the end of the year with their family and could actually spend time thanking donors and not just keying data in. Yeah, and they probably got away from that cliff of, I think I'm going to resign next week or maybe like effective today, right? So right. you can cut off that turnover because yeah, that's that's too much stress for a staff person, whether it's at the holidays or anything else like that. 20 years ago, so many of those tools, they didn't sync up. Now they all do and you shouldn't expect less. Right, and to your point, 
it took that organization some time to do the research and to implement. And that's about really all it took because they were paying this other platform as well. So their costs did not change in any significant way. There are so many things where you're, when you make the change, you can be spending the same amount or even less, and you're getting back so many staff hours over the course of the year. And granted, we're not going to you know cry over a lost hour during the year, but when it's an hour a day and you're paying that person 200 days a year, that's several weeks of lost productivity that you're just paying that person to do things that really aren't adding value to the organization. Right. Now, I have one former client, relatively large. They've got about a $13, $14 million budget. So I know this is not reality for most smaller organizations. But they actually built out Salesforce to be their everything, to be their CRM, to be their accounting system, their HR system, literally everything. And so what that meant was if they were serving a client and there was a cost incurred for that client, it would just seamlessly port over to the accounting software. And then when they needed to generate their reimbursement reports for their funders, they could say, yep, client AB got this on the state. Yeah, there was an upfront investment. But on the back end, that was so many things are, are stronger and that's creating a lot of confidence in the donors. It's easy to find people who poo-poo Salesforce. When I ask people a little bit more, it turns out that they've been treating Salesforce like a paperweight rather than like a puppy and uh, not investing in the maintenance and not going into it knowing that, oh, it's not just you know those 10 free user seats that you get for free through TechSoup. No, it's a powerful tool, but if you use it right, it is going to make your organization so much more efficient because you're just automating everything and people, whether it's your your donors or your beneficiaries or your stuff, it's really that one-stop shopping that, you know, Amazon can do it and my insurance company is doing it and everybody else is doing it. Why are we still, you know, using paper and like we're in the stone age or something? Right, right. The other example I'll give, and this is a mutual friend of ours, and that's Chad Wolver, who, you know, has started Azul Analysis and it's this really cool app that kind of lays over QuickBooks desktop version. And so instead of your bookkeeper or director of finance having to sit down and create charts and graphs to share with the CEO or with the board, literally punch a few buttons and it creates all those for the director of finance, probably saves several hours a month. Oh, yeah. And that adds up over the course of the year. I love Azul Analysis. I love what Chad's doing and I love what's happening with the technology. And so that these things, pretty much if you're a nonprofit and you like, you're sick and tired of doing this thing every month, somebody's probably figured out a way to make a computer do it. And it might, you know, take a little bit of digging to find the right tool or getting the right advice from the right person, but great tools are coming online and they are now very affordable. So many of them too, even the small nonprofits where it pays for itself in months, if not faster sometimes. Mm -hmm. Last little thing for me, at least on tools, I recently discovered the coolest app ever. You've probably known about it for five years, Sean, but and I'm probably gonna mispronounce it, Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R. It's, yeah, everybody should be aware of that. And even if you don't understand it, just like go and talk to a tech person and say, I want my toaster to talk to my microwave. Can't you like Zapier that for me? Like just. Throw that into a conversation because if you have two different tools that aren't talking to each other, Zapier will help them talk to each other. And, that, and that's, what, that's what you need to know, I think. Right, exactly. If you want to build a spreadsheet with data that's coming in on your email, 
just tell Zapier to do it. And suddenly you got a spreadsheet. Yeah. Can I share one of my favorite tools from this year? Sure. Of course. I have two favorite tools. They're both free. Uh, I love sharing both of them. One of them is Loom, L-O-O-M. And it is really cool. And it's something I, I was looking for two years ago. And I even hired a new guy and said, hey, dude, go look for this thing. I didn't know it was called Loom. And I don't think Loom even existed two years ago. And you know, sure enough, he came back with something that was close, but no banana. Here's what Loom does and what makes it really cool for small and medium nonprofits. Um, I love it for training and also for documenting processes. And those are both things where it's very hard for us to do those well and consistently. And so let's say that you need to regularly over the course of the year, train somebody up on how to use your CRM or how to use your blah, 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 whatever. Or let's say you're working in the back office and you just want to take a vacation and not have to be the only person who knows how to do payroll, right? Because a lot of times our back office people, they can't go on vacation because payroll has to be run every two weeks. So what is Loom going to, how's Loom going to help me with that? It's a little app that sits on your computer. It's free to get all the good basic usability out of it. And rather than you like building a big document with screenshots and where you're typing out a lot of text and you take two days to create this documentation of the payroll process and all the weird exceptions that can happen. Instead, you just, all right, well, I'm going to do payroll now. And you turn this on, it's going to record your screen. It's going to capture your voice. So kind of like Zoom does, but this is Loom with an L and you just narrate over payroll. And so like, all right, I'm going to click here and here and here to do a regular, this person, you know, that's just a regular payroll check today for Pat. We click here, 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 and bang, it's done. And then we have Terry and Terry, you know, has just adopted a kid. So they're going out on leave. And so there are a couple of exceptions here. Here's how we handle adoption leave. Click, 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 and bang, that's how we do that. And here's how we handle the other kind of exceptions. And yet when you're done, you hit stop. It automatically creates a video, throws it up on the cloud, automatically creates a unique URL, a unique link for you. And your whole documentation then is just going back to one sheet of paper or even an email and just plopping that link in there like, all right, whoever's going to do payroll while I'm in Tahiti and out of touch, here's how you do it. I'm definitely going to have to check out Loom. I have used something else to do that. And I've actually been using it for the last couple of years. And let me also say, I'm all Mac. Once you go Mac, you don't go back. You just don't. So I am all Mac. And so maybe you can't do this on a PC, but QuickTime, you can do a screen recording with audio in QuickTime. So I just pull up QuickTime and I tell it, okay, record my entire screen. You can also now on a Mac use Capture, but then it just opens up QuickTime. So might as well just open up QuickTime to begin with. But I've been doing that for a couple of years now so that I don't have to tell different people how to do the same thing. And does it spin up a, a unique URL for you automatically and all that good stuff too? So it doesn't do that. You got to save it. Okay. But I also have a virtual server. So it gets saved to my virtual server and same thing. Okay. So yeah, I'll need to check on that. Thank you. So Loom, L-O-O-M. What's the other one? The other one that I really love this year is called Divi. The short version is it's like a credit card, but then you add on to that like Expensify which is also kind of like receipt bank. And so basically, if you're an executive or whoever and you're like out to lunch and use your smartphone, take a photo of the receipt, upload it, and you're done, you can throw away that paper and forget about it. And so, you know, you can get rid of like the shoeboxes full of receipts. You can get rid of the back office having to chase down 
all the different people in the organization who have the credit cards. Divi will let you create virtual credit cards. If you have like repeating charges, it will let you create just special temporary charges. So if you need to send a volunteer down to the store to get something, don't lend them the VP of fundraising's credit card because stuff happens, right? Check out a credit card to that person and just put 500 bucks on it. That's only good for the day. They come back and like you can have a thousand different credit cards and that's all free. That Expensify functionality, like normally you have to pay Expensify, all that functionality is free and they do a couple of other things. These folks really came through during the paycheck protection program and they were like, well, you know, we have some spare bandwidth because fewer people are signing up for credit cards right now. How can we help America out? And so anyway, I love them. I'd love to talk to anybody else about, you know, kind of just, it's a, it's a really cool tool. So I have never heard of that. And that is an awesome tool. It's Divi, D-I-V-Y? D-I-V-V-Y. Ah, glad I asked. Dot com. Yeah. I, I love telling people about it because it's super duper. And uh, yeah, a number of local nonprofits we've been like looking at it this year and sharing notes afterwards. And I keep on hearing how people love it. Yeah, I'm using it myself. Wow. I totally love that. I'm going to check it out and I'm probably going to suggest some clients too. And of course, we're going to link Loom and Divi in the show notes so that listeners can find it there as well. We are really out of time, but I got to hit at least one more of your blog posts. Let's talk about inertia. Oh, yeah, that's a killer. It's a real killer. And the, the thing about inertia is that it can happen to any of us, right? And, and like, sometimes we know, like, that thing that we're doing or not doing or whatever, like that needs to change, but there's a bigger fire or there's somebody in front of me who needs me right now. And so we put off for a day and then a week and then a month. And then we just get used to that. And so, um, you know, one of the stories I love telling about that, there was uh, the day before the pandemic hit my family and the kids came home forever. I was having coffee with the executive director of a, a local nonprofit. And he was telling me about uh, his first day on the job a couple of years back. He's just, you know, kind of learning the ropes and asking questions and getting up to speed on things. And he says, hey, so tell me about that, uh, that van out on the parking lot. You know, it seems to have some busted windows on it. It looks like it hasn't moved for a while. Like, what, what's the story with that? And so I come to find out that this van, the organization owned the van. It hadn't moved for two years. It had been sitting there on the parking lot, taking up space. And they'd been paying insurance on it the whole time. And so it's like one of those things like they... Somebody had to have known in the back of their mind, at least, that that was just not good. But it took somebody coming in and having fresh perspective to say, no, like, let, let's stop this now. Because even though it's easy to put it off for a day, a day is going to become a month, going to become a year. So they were able to save 2000 bucks a year on insurance. And they were able to get another 500 bucks or whatever from selling that old clunker. And they got a parking space back. And so often, our nonprofits, we have 5, 10, 15, 20 of these things that we've just forgotten about. And so the trick is to get to get perspective somehow and start attending to those things so that you can get those savings here and it's $2,000 there and it's $5,000 over there. And pretty soon you have enough money to like get a, bring in an intern or something bigger that you've been wanting. So two years ago, I had a client that really exemplified the inertia issue with their storage units. So they brought me in. They were having some financial trouble. They're like, we got to figure this out. We got to figure out how to raise more money. And like you, I'm also always typically say, well, how can we save some money too? Well, they had, and I don't remember the exact number, six or seven storage units. And essentially what happened was when one storage unit filled up over a 
I don't know, 15 to 20 year period, when one storage unit filled up, they just walked into the office at the same storage unit complex and said, we need another one. So they had a couple decades of junk. And not all of it was junk. Some of it was files they had to keep, but a lot of it, frankly, were files they should have destroyed a decade ago. Yeah. Good document retention policies and just somebody come in and saying, hey, why do we have all this all these bills, why are we paying a thousand bucks a month for storage units? Right. And as you probably know, storage units are cheap your first year. And every year after that, they go up by 10, 15, 20%. So yeah, this organization was a thousand dollars plus every month on storage units. And they probably could have gone down to maybe one unit, if not zero, if somebody could just take a chunk of time and sort that out, right? Scan the, the key documents, shred the rest, throw away the jungle gym or whatever that they was half rotted out anyway and the tape players and <laughs> eight track recorders. I will say, because they ended up going in and clearing them out, there actually was technology that's no longer used. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad to necessarily be a pack rat, to be careful and cautious about what we throw out. There are good reasons to do that. And there are ways we can leverage technology or bring in a friend if we have to so we don't become hoarders and have that big expense. Right. And I'll also just share quick pro tip. This is a great opportunity to bring in a corporate volunteer group with an ERG or a BRG. Corporate groups love to come in and do a do a one day clean out because they get there and everything looks like heck. Right. And then four, five, six hours later, they walk away and everything's clean and everything's been consolidated down and they feel like they've done something great. And the other just bonus is typically that corporate group will make a small gift to your organization as a thank you for letting them volunteer, $1,000, $1,500, something like that. So yeah, whenever I have a clean out like that, if I'm the interim ED at an organization, I always say, let's find a good corporate group to come help us do this clean out or paint this room or whatever else it is. They can get quick satisfaction and get that sense of accomplishment, right? From a a one-day investment of their time. I love that. Thanks for sharing. Oh, well, thank you. Sean, I absolutely have to ask you the the off-the-map question. And the reason is we do it in every episode. It helps our listeners get to know you as a person, kind of the person behind the profession. And I understand that you really enjoy board games. And so... My question for you is, what board game do you play most often with people who are not in your family? Well, Dolph, I'm going to be a little bit contrary, and it's supposed to be an off-the-map question, but I'm going to put it right back on the map. Because the the board game I've been doing a whole lot of with friends and kind of outside the household during the pandemic is online risk. And so you may remember this from your childhood. You know, it's the board game with the big map game of world conquest. And it's the kind of thing that my friends and I had stopped playing because, you know, before you know it, it's like 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. And it's just kind of, all right, you know, the person who stays up the latest is the winner at that point because it just goes on for too long. When you play it online, it just it take, makes the game play a whole lot faster because the computer is doing a lot of the thinking for you. It's rolling the dice and all that other stuff. And so I've been able to play it again for the first time with my good friends and knock out a great game in like less than two hours. And so sometimes we even have time for two games of risk and uh, the computer's doing all the, the heavy lifting of the dice and the moving the armies and stuff. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, so we go to, it's a warzone.com, but there are other places that have different versions and even different maps you can use. If you want to like play Risk on Middle Earth from J.R.R. Tolkien, you can do that. Or maybe you like the former Yugoslavia and you want to 
fight over that. That's really kind of awesome. I may have to go check that out. And I've not played Risk in three plus decades. I may have to go check that out and play Risk. Let me know. I'd love to play with you. Awesome. I definitely will. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on today. And listeners, you have got to reach out to Sean. You have got to check out his blog. Go to seanhale.org. That's seanhale.org. And there you will see, again, a incredible blog with good, actionable advice and tips that will help your organization be more efficient and more productive and ultimately more successful. While you're on his page, make sure that you check out his webinar. It is scheduled for November 17th and it is beyond bell tightening. So if you have gotten a little interested in this topic based on our conversation today, go to seanhale.org and register for the webinar. And Finally, when you do register, there's a $29 fee, but Sean is offering a discount, a 100% discount for successful nonprofits listeners. So the code is Dolph, my first name, in all caps, D-O-L-P-H. The last thing he's also offering is if you reach out to him, your first consultation is free. So you should definitely take him up on that. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Dolph, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for the tips that you shared with me. I love that storage unit store. I'm going to be sharing it with some folks, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, it's been a, a real pleasure to connect with all your listeners as well. I hope to hear from you guys. Thank you, Sean. And listeners, if you were thinking back on your favorite board game and Googling to see whether or not you can play it online, don't worry about it. Go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and you can get all of the links from today's show. The tech solutions we talked about, Sean's website, a direct link to his webinar, everything. And listeners, if you enjoyed today's show, if you got some good information out of it, I would suggest that you go back and listen to Episode 154, Surviving an Economic Crisis with Tony Pergolin. I would also suggest that you go back and listen to Episode 153, My Organization's PPP Loan Didn't Get Funded, Now What? Even if you did get funded, it's going to give you some great tips on ways that you can save some money and become more efficient. And finally, if you are looking into 2021 and starting to have some concerns about your revenue and your expenses, you should really go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and check out our group coaching, which is only for executive directors who believe they will be facing some tough times in 2021. That, listeners, is our show for this week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.